Praise God for this beautiful day that he's given us. Praise God for this time to be in his house and, and to worship the Lord. Thank God for the gift of his son Jesus by which we have redemption and are saved. How many of you know that it costs something to stand for truth? It costs something to stand for God. It costs something in the church and in the church world to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's so faithful. The price paid is more than worth it. But it does cost something to live for the Lord. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119, 119. Turn with me to Psalm 119, verse, we're going to look at verse 104, 104, and then we'll skip down. Psalm 119, verse 104. Longest chapter in the Bible, okay? Right here, verse 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Verse 128. Same psalm. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts, precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. We see here just in a couple of scriptures that, you know, the, person, the man of God, the woman of God, the person of God, we're not only to love what's right and cling to what's right, we are to hate what's false and what's not of God. Uh, we don't hate the sinner. We love, but we can hate the sin that he's in. We don't hate those that perpetrate false doctrine but we can hate them their ministry we can hate the fruit of that we can hate what they're doing and how they're corrupting the things of God and here he says twice I hate I love your word I love your precepts esteeming all things to be right and I hate therefore because of that I hate every false way uh, I just want to read this scripture while you're there uh, you don't have to turn there Romans 12 9 abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good. There's not a middle ground when it comes to Christianity, the things of God, truth, error, darkness, light. Uh, the world and, and much, much of the church world and certainly our enemy, the devil, tries to uh, blur those lines and muddy the waters and make it a uh, gray area. But according to the word of God, it's not gray area. We are to abhor that which is evil. That means utterly hate it, detest it, which is evil. Hate that and cleave to that which is good. Um, we are earnestly, we are called as believers to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. That faith, that faith which was once delivered to the saints. Not anything that we call faith, but the faith of the Bible, the faith of the scriptures, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Earnestly contend for that faith. And we must stand for, we must contend for by God's spirit and by God's grace in love, we're to speak the truth. But there is a battle going on. There is a light and a darkness. There is a, a God of this world and there is the God of heaven. And they don't get along and they don't make peace and they're not going to make a truce and they're not going to make a compromise. Therefore, as the people of God, we cannot. I say it all the time, it's wonderful to compromise in certain situations, you know, certain things. You're building a building and somebody thought it should be this big and somebody that big. Maybe you'll split the difference, you know, uh, things like that. But when it comes to truth and error and darkness and light, there is no compromise. Therefore, we're making a grave mistake right from the beginning to think that we can find some middle ground or to make a, a compromise. We are to stand for and contend for the truth. The Bible says, for the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will turn their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. This is part of the last chapter of the last epistle that Paul wrote before he was martyred for the Lord. He didn't compromise, amen? He was martyred for the Lord. And he's writing to his young uh, disciple, Timothy, who was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He says, there's a coming a time, I would, I would say we're here now, amen, where they will not. Those in the church, those that call themselves the church and followers of Christ, they will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll turn away from the truth. They'll heap to themselves teachers, they themselves having itching ears that they want somebody to scratch. Tell me something new. Tell me something exciting. Tell me something I never heard before. Tell me something that makes me jump and, and run when I leave this place and, and gets me for, through the next day. Tell me something like that. Tell me something interesting. Tell me something that uh, people haven't heard before so I can go tell them. And they'll, heap, they'll turn away their ears. They shall turn. It's a, it's a free choice decision that these people that in the church, maybe they're saved, maybe they're not, but they will turn away from the truth. They make that choice. And I can promise you, when you turn away from the truth, the next choice is not yours. I say it all the time. They shall be turned unto fables. You turn from the truth, and you know the truth. You don't want to quite walk in it. You want to embrace something that's not quite truth, and you know better. You turn away from the truth that you know. We don't all know it perfectly, but what we do know, you walk in it. Amen? And if we don't walk in it and we turn away from the truth, what we know to be truth, we shall be turned. That's not our power. That's another power that says, okay, I'll take it from here and pull you into something and you'll be turned unto fables. You'll be turned unto things that aren't true. We are to abhor every false way. We're going to do a study this week, next week, I don't know how much longer, but at least this week and next week on progressive Christianity. I'll tell you right off the bat, there's nothing progressive about it in the, in the real terms of the definition of the word progress. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but we don't hate the progressive Christians. We are to love them, but we are to utterly oppose 100% what they're espousing, what they're holding to, what they're preaching, what they're believing. Paul says in Romans 16, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to sound doctrine. I didn't write that. He's beseeching them. That's the strongest word that in, in the language to implore them. It's like beseeching you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here he says, I beseech you, brethren. He's talking to his Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses in what manner? Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. We don't do that as the church world today. And because we don't do that, we're in the mess that we're in now. God's made a provision for that. He's given us the Holy Ghost. He's given us the Bible. He's given us the spirit of truth to lead us into all truth. And he's given us some admonition and a little backbone by the grace of God to do what needs to be done. And because we don't consistently do it, people don't, individuals don't, people sitting in the pew don't. Because we don't, that's why we have one uh, sham after another or something worse than a sham that would be demonic that calls itself Christian. You and I and our children and believers in this day must be grounded in the truth, grounded in the truth. We must know what we believe, and we must be able to defend what we believe from the Word of God. 
Now, that is very simple. That's why we're here all the time. That's why we come to Sunday school and Bible studies and the college and career studying through Old Testament books, and it's wonderful. But we need to know what we believe, and we need to be able to defend what we believe by the Word of God. We might not always know. We say it chapter and verse. It's good to know chapter and verse. Amen. But we need to be able to defend what we believe. The devil is after your faith. How many of you know that? He's after your children. He's after your joy. He's after your peace. But if he could have one thing, it would be have your faith. He's after your faith in the living God. In the risen Savior. In the Savior of the world. He wants to riddle your faith. That's what that means when, when the Lord says, uh, Peter, Satan is desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. When it means sift you as wheat, I study that word, it means riddled with holes. And I always picture like a big, uh, powerful machine gun just shooting up a vehicle, uh, vehicle or a building until the building literally falls in. It's so riddled with holes, there's nothing left. Just poof, 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 poof over and over until the building collapses. That's what Satan wants to do with our faith. That's what he wants to do to your children's faith. He wants to make shipwreck. The Bible talks about that. Peter, uh, Paul told Timothy, holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. There, Satan wants to make shipwreck of your faith and your walk with God. That's what he's after more than anything. He wants to do it in one fell swoop, or he wants to do it little by little over time and kind of erode it away. But that's what he desires to do. He wants to destroy your faith in Christ and in the Bible and the truth of Scriptures and get you doubting it. Get you doubting it, because if you doubt it, you'll walk away from it. Because there's other things more alluring that seem more real at the time. We've heard examples of this, of a, of a Christian young person coming to the age where they go off to college. And there's an atheist professor there. Not an atheist, many atheist professors there. And when the student gets there, the atheist professor has it as their goal to talk to an auditorium or a classroom of people. They take great joy in wrecking the faith of that young believer, to ridicule it, to mock it. This is not made-up stories. This happens every single day in our countries, in our college campuses. They want to dismantle the faith of a young believer. We hear stories like that. Can I tell you something that's more tragic and I would say more scary, more effective? is when a believer's faith, young or old, is dismantled right within the four walls of their church. A believer's faith can be picked apart and dismantled right within the walls of their church. Progressive Christianity, like any other deviation from the truth, is is not of the Lord. It's going to take us in a way of fables. It's going to take us in a way of falsehoods. There will be fruit to that. You don't just believe something and, and that's divorced from your life, divorced from your life. You believe something, it will affect how you think, how you live, what you do, what you don't do, what you love, what you hate, what you believe, what you don't believe. This is, uh, it, it matters what we believe. Progressive Christianity, progressive Christians Progressive churches and pastors, there. this is an error within, and you ought to follow me on this when I say this, it's an error within Christianity. 
and I'm using Christianity, and I'll do it throughout the course of this and next week, as speaking of like what is called Christianity, under the big umbrella of what calls itself Christian. Not the Hindu, not the Muslim, not the atheist, not the agnostic, okay, not the Satanist. Progressive Christianity is an error within what is called Christian. Are the people really saved? Or are they really not saved? Well, they know and the Lord knows. I think some are saved and they get deceived into this. Some were never saved. I think the people that perpetrate this and lead this, I definitely don't believe that they're saved. But it's an error within, quote, evangelical churches. There's a movement, pastors and books and blogs and podcasts and churches and so forth, of progressive Christianity. How many in here have heard of the emergent church? You've heard of the emergent church. Okay, that's not new. The emergent church is... I'm throwing a date on it, maybe say 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. The emergent church, postmodern church, okay, that we're doing things a new way. We're, we're revisiting and rethinking old traditions and so forth like, like that. And it's, a, it's definitely an error. It's a, way, a move away from the Lord without question. It's bad enough. Well, the emergent church movement has basically been uh, co-opted into... The progressive church movement. You don't hear much about the emergent church anymore. It sort of just moved under this umbrella of the progressive church movement. And the, uh, the, it, it eventually leads to, if you follow it from the emergent church to the progressive church thought, and we're going to get into what, what they believe and how it's so ungodly, from the progressive church it eventually ends up in universalism. In other words, all truths are truth. If it's truth to, to you, then that's fine as long as you believe it. It ends up there. That's where it ends up. Because you, the individual believer, are the, the uh, final authority in what is God, what is truth, what is, er is not true, and so forth. You become that. So all religions are okay all paths lead to heaven, whatever you imagine heaven to be. That's where it in, uh, ultimately ends up. So I want to read. Uh, I want to read a quote here. I did some research on the progressive Christian movement, and the reason I'm talking about this, y'all, by the way, is this is just what's prominent. We could pick any error within the church. To me, this encompasses so many of the errors that it's like we can handle it all in one fell swoop. But um, progressive Christianity, I'm quoting from a, uh, a website, is a growing religious movement that professes to be, quote, Christian while seeking to present itself as a modern-day alternative to biblical Christianity. If you're tired of the way those fundamentalists do it, if you're tired of the way the people, the, the people over there, the Christians that, you know, go to Sunday school and they believe the Bible, uh, we're going to give you an alternative Christianity to that. But they don't affirm the entire Bible as being inerrant or authoritative for Christian living. Progressive Christians perceive biblical Christianity, and that would be me very proudly, okay? Progressive Christians perceive biblical Christianity as being fundamentalist, unloving, uncompromising, and too intolerant to the ever-changing secular culture and moral values of the modern-day world. So Christian, progressive Christianity attempts to present a progressive or more liberal theological view of Christianity 
by conforming to the world's moral standards and value systems. For example, progressive Christians oppose biblical Christianity's intolerance, what they call intolerance, to homosexuality, abortion, or the biblical assertion that Jesus Christ is exclusively the only way for salvation. Progressive Christianity presents distorted theological views which do not oppose or offend the world's value systems. Instead, progressive Christians seek to emerge, embrace, and conform to the moral and unbiblical standards of the world. Okay, that's just like in a nutshell, and then we'll, we'll kind of dissect this in a little bit, bit. To me, it's worldly Christianity, like on steroids. It's not Christianity, but it's cr- true Christianity is going to have an authority. It's going to have a, a higher a highest and higher authority that defines it as being Christian. Uh, and this Christianity says that biblical Christianity is too rigid. There needs to be some room to move because the world has changed and become more ungodly. And we want to conform more to the world and the world's standards. I said at the very beginning before I started preaching, there's a cost to stand for truth. It costs you something wise up. It's going to cost you something. Not only in the world does it cost you something to live for Christ, it costs you something in the church world to live for Jesus Christ according to the Word of God. The Bible says we're not conf- to conform to the wor- this world, that we're to uh, uh, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, but not be conformed to this world. The Bible says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And guess what our reward is? I will receive you, the Lord says. I will receive you. So the whole point is this is a Christianity that's trying to fit in and please men and not make too many waves. And we hate being hated by the world. And we kind of like some of the things of the world. We kind of agree with some of the moral things of the world. We want to be call ourselves Christians and, and be like this over here. And we want, don't want them to hate us like those fundamentalists over there. They can put every tag they want, but it's Christ. It's his word. It's the Bible. It's the truth. It's, it's his word. We believe it or we don't believe it, but it's not ours to bend and to compromise. Progressive Christianity... Questions. Now, this is where we're going to start getting into it. Progressive Christianity questions, minimizes, denies, puts in doubt, ridicules, rails on the foundational truths of God. The foundational truths of God, not what we might even within the church think of peripheral issues within the church. There are some things we'll find out when we get to heaven. Was this group right? Was that group right? Was this pastor right? Was that theologian right? Some of that, I'm talking about things that are not necessary for salvation or for living holy lives for God. That we just might, I was on this fence on that issue and on this side and somebody else was on that. But that's my brother in the Lord. You know, we'll, we'll find out. There are things like that. And I don't think it's as much of that as in reality as we make it to be. I think there's very little of that. But progressive Christianity puts in doubt the foundational truths of God. I'll give you an example of some. They put in, uh, into doubt and question the deity of Jesus Christ. Do you think that that's important? The deity of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus says that you'll die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Do you think that's important? 
that I am, that I am, that that's me, the, me talking to you, that I am, that I am. If you don't believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins if you don't believe that. They put in question the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. The re, this is a big one, the reliability and authority of the scriptures. As I said, not simply arguing over minimal, or not that there's any minimal, but peripheral issues, but the very foundations of the truth. Does that sound familiar to you? And I'll tell you how they work. They talk very gently a lot of times, have a little sarcasm, kind of roll their eyes when they talk about those fundamentalists. The only enemy that they have is not the devil. The only enemy that they have is you. They hate the biblical Bible thumping what they would call Christians. They hate us. They can embrace with anybody and get along with anybody to a point. They don't have an enemy in the devil. They have an enemy in the church that believes the Bible and really strives to live for it. But they're condescending and they ridicule and they mock. And, and we'll talk about some of this. I want to read a quote. This is from a, straight from a quote from the progressive. Uh, this man is named John Paplovich. He is a notable... Uh, progressive Christian. He has a very, very popular uh, progressive Christian blog that he does daily online. I'll read a quote from him, so I'm not putting words in his mouth. Progressive Christianity is not apologizing for what we become as we live this life and openly engage the faith that we grew up with. You're kind of like, what in the world is he saying? Just say it, you know? But he's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for questioning fundamental truths of what I believed growing up as a Christian, if he ever was a Christian. Goes on to say, there are no sacred cows, as he calls them. None. Deity of Christ is not a sacred cow that we have to stand by. It's not a foundational, fundamental truth to define Christianity. The resurrection of Christ is not, a, according to him, he puts it a sacred cow. Only thing that's sacred, he says, is the relentless sacred search for truth. I'm still quoting. Traditions, dogmas, doctrine. There we go. Traditions, dogmas, doctrine are all fair game. They're all fair game to pick apart. They're all fair game to put in doubt. They're all fair game to question, and we can accept it or reject it or bend it however we choose. Because, he says, all the do traditions, dogmas, doctrines of Christianity all pass through the hands of flawed humanity and as such are all equally subject to the prejudices, fears, and biases of those who touch it. Y'all, it sounds like the devil in the garden. When, when he comes to Eve, the first encounter we have in the Bible that we see is the serpent coming to Eve and saying, Yea, hath God said. It's a question. First thing you did was question a, a, something that's a fact. Don't ever question what's a fact. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, do we turn to a group of other seekers and searchers for truth and say, I wonder if really Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. What do you think over there? And the leader who's leading that has already made it up his mind. He's trying to get you to a point where you doubt it. Okay? He's not just some nice brotherly person who's searching for truth. He's already made up his mind. He doesn't believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and no man comes to the Father but by him. He's put it in question. Don't ever put in question what God has said as a fact. Don't ever do it. 
You're setting yourselves up. What if somebody says, well, just pray about it. You're a Christian. Just pray about it. No, I'm not going to pray about it. I pray about everything, but I don't pray about that. You don't pray about what God has said yea and amen to. The Bible says his word is forever settled in heaven. I don't question that. I don't might question a lot of things. God, why is this happening in my life? You know, why is this happening? Why did so-and-so do this? Why? A lot of things I might question. What's heaven going to be like? When's the rapture going to I might question a lot of things, but I don't question what God has told me. I'll go on to quote a little more from him. This, this is what he says. Uh, when he says that all these dogmas, doctrines, traditions are fair game to put on the table and chew up and spit out, okay, because all have passed through the hands of flawed humanity and it, therefore it's subject to the human biases and prejudices, okay, of those who touch it. He's not speaking just about, okay, uh, Damien reads the Bible and he's got his own take on God in the Bible and I read it and I got a little di different take on it. He's actually speaking about the writers of the Bible. We need to know this. He says so. He's speaking about Moses and Samuel and David and Isaiah and Peter and John and James, uh, that they were the flawed, biased humans, and includes them, that the word of God passed through. Therefore, it can't really be trusted. This totally undermines the, the authority of Scripture. He says they're biased, they're prejudiced, they're only seeing God. This is a famous progressive Christian thought that people uh, only have seen God through their own personal biases and cultural understanding. It's total modern physical, uh, philosophical type thinking it undermines the scripture. The Bible, this is a quote, is only a great book about what people thought about God at the time. The Bible is only a great book. Well, well gosh, there's a lot of great books, you know. You might thought that, you know, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn were great books. You might have, you know, but the Bible is only a great book that, listen what he says, about what people thought about God at the time. I want you to turn with me quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And y'all, we need to be on guard. We need to understand what's happening. We know we're in the end times. We know that... Uh, they're seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, but we need to be prepared for the battle that lies ahead. Second Timothy 3, let's pick up in verse 14. Now, now this man, John Popovich, says the Bible is only a great book that just people share their opinions, what they knew about God or thought about God at the time. Let's see what the Bible says about itself. Second Timothy 3 been a, has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known what? The holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, that means complete or finished, mature, all right, perfect, th thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so uh, progressive Christianity, one of the biggest things right off the bat, if not the biggest thing, is they don't 
have the Bible as being their final authority, and they tell you why. Well, what is going to be the final authority? What are you left with in a belief system if the book, God's word that he gave us, is not the final authority, then you become the final authority. And the person sitting next to you, sitting next to you becomes the final authority. Some higher up that imposes his will upon people becomes the higher authority. And so uh, they don't just believe, progressive Christians don't just believe that uh, that that people are changing and so forth. They actually believe, and this is a quote, that Christianity, truth itself, itself is progressing and evolving. In other words, truth is changing. What, what they believed about God a thousand years ago is different today. It's, truth is different today. Now, the only truth they have, they want to keep conforming it back to the morals of the society. That's the measuring stick. That's where it needs to be brought to. People believe this way back here, but we know more now about God. We have a greater revelation. We've evolved as human beings and are seeking and spiritual. This is more true. And they, the Bible is not that authority. And so uh, they believe that, that it's evolving. Objective truth is actually evolving. And I looked up progress in the, in the dictionary. This is not a spiritual definition. This is Webster's Dictionary. Progress. It means a forward movement, a move towards some aim. And I believe it's Satan's aim and advancement, okay, uh, an advancement. But then there's a definition. It means improvement in the condition of mankind. It absolutely is not that. They might be moving to their own goal, to their own aim. They're making progress in a certain direction. But progressive Christianity is not certainly not bringing about an improvement to the condition of mankind. Only Christ can do that. Progressive Christianity sees truth in God through the lens of a postmodern relativism. I know that you heard of this. That You're probably way ahead of me on some of this stuff. But postmodern thought and philosophy is that there are no absolutes. There are no absolute truths. And so the Bible is not absolutely true. But they're making, when they make that statement, they're, they're, making the, they're basing that on the fact that their statement is true, that there are no absolute truths. And yet, God's word is forever settled in heaven. Jesus said to, to his father, Lord, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I am the truth, amen, the way, the truth, and the life. life. And we say, well, aren't, aren't Christians supposed to make progress and to grow? Absolutely. We're to grow. We're to make progress in our Christianity, but it's in Christ. We grow in Christ. We grow in our fruit bearing. We grow in our knowledge of the Lord. We grow in our love for the Lord and for others. We grow in our understanding of spiritual things. But there's a huge difference between a believer growing in Christ and in truth, the truth as it's in Christ Jesus. There's a huge difference between that and truth itself changing and morphing and becoming something else. Something else. Um, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. The Bible says in Malachi 3, the Lord says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. So he's not changing. Truth is not changing. The Lord's not changing. Old Testament, New Testament, a thousand years from now, eternity in the future, eternity past. I am the Lord, I change not. The eternal truth of God, his word, who he is, 
doesn't change. So when Popovich says there are no sacred cows, all doctrines, dogmas, traditions are fair game because they all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. Again, he's not simply saying, uh, you know, you can take 100 believers and everybody has a little slightly different understanding of some scripture. That's not what he's saying. He's, he's, he's saying that the people that wrote the Bible, it passed through flawed hands. It passed through the, the word, passed through flawed hands, and therefore we can't trust it. They only saw through the, the, their cultural understanding and their own personal experience. This completely, as I said, undermines the authority of Scripture. Let's, this is some of the, their thought, some, how they work. Well, you're, you're open-minded. Let's be open-minded about this. Let's, uh, let's dialogue about it. Let's revisit some of these things that we've just kind of accepted in the past. Let's reimagine it. Let's make it on, put it on the table for discussion. Let me tell you what our doctrinal statement says, the Cornerstone Church doctrinal statement. You can look it up on our website. I can give you a copy if you want it. First thing, and it's not just ours. I mean, I own it, but for sure, everything that's on there. But we didn't invent this doctrinal statement. We believe the Bible is the only inspired, infallible, and authoritative word of God. It's the first thing on there. So we're starting with the Bible. We're starting with the scriptures. That's where we start. That's where we end. That's where we stay. That's where we live. We stay within those 66 books of the Bible. Did we put God in a box? No. He put himself in, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He's the word. He's the living word. He's given us his word. He says whoever adds to the prophecies of this book is going to be a curse upon him. Whoever takes away from the books. We're to live by the whole counsel of God. We read the scripture in 2 Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. And so extra biblical things can might be helpful in some ways, but you don't have to have them. They're not meat and potatoes. They're not necessary. The Bible is, and we believe it. Before we can talk about uh, progressive Christianity, I want us just very quickly to look at historical Christianity, what I would call it. What is real Christianity? If you're telling me what the false Christians believe, and, and, and today we're talking about progressive Christianity, what is the real? What is the real Christianity, and, and I didn't invent it, and I didn't come up, up with it, okay? Neither did you, neither did any other theologian. God gave it to us. This is the earliest creed in the history of Christianity. We're going to talk about it in just a second. The earliest creed, even the most skeptical, liberal theologians, who may not even be Christians, probably are not, but place the date of this creed with be, being between three and five years after the resurrection of Christ. Three to five years. And a man named Dominic Fossil, who is of the Jesus Seminars, who totally is, doesn't know the Lord and picks apart the Bible and calls himself a theologian, he actually says this creed was quoted by the early church and recited and affirmed by the early church Christians as early as 18 months after the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to go back to see what the early church believes. You hear about all the mystics and the church fathers, and half of them were nuts. Half of them went off into stuff that wasn't of the Lord, okay? But he's saying here, this is, this is what the earliest church, church believers, the true church of Christ, what did they affirm and say, we believe this? 
We believe this as being foundational and fundamental in what defines us as being followers of Christ. Okay? And it's actually found in your Bible. So I want you to turn with me to Second, First uh, Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 15. So even the most liberal and pessimistic theologians believe this is what the early church affirmed some as early as 18 months after it's recorded after 18 months of the resurrection of Christ. First Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It goes on to say, and he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and of the twelve and over five hundred brethren at one time. Well, well, this is the earliest creed. People talk about the Nicene Creed or this creed or that creed. And this is the earliest creed, starting in verse 2. He says, it's by this gospel, this gospel that I preached unto you. And what's the effect of this gospel that I preached to you? It's the gospel by which you're saved. If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, because we could believe in vain. And then specifically in verse 3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I invented. It's not what he says. That which I made up, that's what passed through my flawed human hands in simple, uh, biased understanding. No, I delivered unto you, first of all, that, uh, that which I also received. The Lord gave it to him. The Lord gave it to him. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So if the very reality, you know, some of these progressive Christians don't even believe that Jesus was a real person. They don't even believe he existed, much less that he died for our sins. And that he rose again. All of that, what we just take for granted, is found here in the Bible. We believe what we believe, and there's a why we believe what we believe. And what just very quickly, Muslims, for example, don't believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. They don't believe God had any sons. They don't believe he was the Christ. Every word is that is important. In verse 3, that Christ, he's called the Christ. Jesus was the Christ. He wasn't another good prophet. He wasn't a good rabbi. He wasn't a revolutionary. He wasn't any of those things. He wasn't someone that showed us a better way. He was the way. He was God in the flesh. He's God Almighty robed in human flesh. The eternal word that, word that created all things, it was him born in a little manger and grew up and lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins. He's the Christ, the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. There's no one close to him. He's that prophet which Moses spoke of. You, you need to believe that prophet that's going to come and do everything that he says. Way back in the Old Testament, well, he came, and it's Jesus Christ. And so Christ Jesus died for our sins. That's important. Some people, again, he might have died a martyr's death. There's been a lot of martyrs. There's been Christian martyrs. There's been Muslim martyrs. There's been martyrs for all kinds of things, martyrs for their country. But Christ Jesus died for our sins. How? According to the Scriptures. 
He would hang on a tree. Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. He didn't drown. He wasn't beheaded. He, he wasn't starved to death. He, you know, he was, he was crucified. It was prophesied. He, he did it according to the scriptures. And clearly we see the doctrine of the substitutionary atoning sacrificial death of Jesus Christ in that passage. Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He died for his own sin? No, he died for our sins. We just take this for granted. We hear, hear it morning, noon, and night. Progressive Christianity puts that in doubt. It's on the table. It's all fair game. Well, I think he died to show us a better way. Yeah, well, if that's what you believe, let's, let's go with that. No, the Bible says he died for our sins. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. The holy for the unholy. God for man. To reconcile men unto God. Our, I'll read from our doctrinal statement again. This is third on our doctrinal statement. We believe the deity of Christ our Lord. Deity means he's God in the flesh. Not a good man sent by God, not a son of God like we're all sons of God referred to in the Bible. We believe in the deity of Christ our Lord, in his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, his vicarious atoning death. Vicarious is a fancy word for substitutionary. We believe in his, that he, he died in our stead, in our place. Like Abraham was about to offer Isaac and God had a ram stuck in the thicket and that ram was offered instead of Isaac. And Isaac lived. Christ was offered in our stead, and we live. We believe in his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension, and his present position at the right hand of God the Father, and in his future return to earth, this earth, to rule and reign a thousand years. This is in our doctrinal statement. We believe that. And these are things that the progressive Christian puts on the table. All traditions, all dogma, all doctrine. Oh, they don't like a pastor standing behind a pulpit wearing a coat and tie. They want to sit around a dark room, light some candles, and drink a beer. I'm not making fun. They, they do that. They'll go out and drink beers and think, they'll go out and hang out in the bar because they're free. They're free thinkers. They're experiencing God their own way and so forth, and not like us fundamentalists. I'm only fundamental because God gave me the word. I want to walk in it. I want to walk in the whole bit of it. If he didn't give it to me, I wouldn't have it to walk in. But he gave it to me, and I'm responsible to walk in it and have the pleasure of walking in it. That's where we know the Lord. This belief that he died according uh, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried in verse 4 and rose again according to the scriptures. This belief is fundamental. This belief is foundational, and this belief, these beliefs are necessary for Christianity. If you don't believe those things, you think, well, I think we should meet once a week. I think we should meet every day. I think we should do this. I think we should have Lord's Supper every service. People can debate that. It's fine. Whatever God can convinces you of about that, live according to your conscience. You're not going contrary to the word of God. Live God the way God leads you to do that, okay? But these things are necessary. This is what the early church was affirming, buried and rose again. How? According to the scriptures. 
Verse 17 says, if Christ be not raised, be not raised, your faith is in vain. You're yet dead in your sins. We have to believe that. You have to believe that Jesus, well, if you don't even believe he existed, or you don't believe he died on the cross, or you don't believe he died for the sins of mankind, and you don't believe in the resurrection of the Lord, he says, you're, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, empty, pointless, it's a waste, it's a puff of air. You are yet in your sins. I'd say that's foundational. Word of God would say that's foundational. So any Christian, and I'm going to put that up there, any Christian that divorces himself or herself from the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures, and from the authority of the Word, because it said he did this according to the Scriptures, right, is not true Christianity. It's not because I say so. The Bible would say so, just in that passage right there. And I'm going to bring, bring this to a close, but there was a Christian couple and I think in Nashville, Tennessee, the, the, the lady, I heard her testimony. It was wonderful. Uh, I can share with you more after service if you're interested in it. Christian couple. She uh, grew up in a Christian home. She was displayed by, by her parents to her true Christianity. Like they, they really believed the word. They lived the word. They were true Christians. They wanted her to to minister and get out and help people. They brought her, and she grew up in Los Angeles. They brought her in the streets of Los Angeles in the poor, poorest parts of the city. She was around prostitutes. I, I kind of liken it almost to Glory House and where Glory House sat, those of you that are familiar with Glory House, uh, ministering the Lord. Prostitutes, drug dealers, drug users, drug addicts, uh, criminals, trying to win them to Christ, loving them, feeding them, teaching them how to read and so forth. She was, as a child, brought up around all that. She grew up and had a secular music career and kind of went off. Later she comes into, uh, she and her husband joined this big church in Nashville. And it was a non-denominational, evangelical Christian church. And they were attracted to the pastor in the sense that he was a free thinker. He didn't just do things like every other church they'd been in. He, he thought outside the box. You hear things like that? Think outside the box. And after attending the church for some time, the pastor came up to her and said, I, I see a lot of potential in you. you. You've got a lot of wisdom and a lot of sense. I would like to invite you to be part of this inner circle. That's what he called it. It was an exclusive ministry group session. There's nothing wrong with taking people deeper and, and going on with the Lord as God leads and raises up disciples. I know Peter, James, and John were closer to the Lord than the other 12 disciples, although they were all disciples. But, but so he calls her in and says, next, you know, next Tuesday or whatever, we're going to start meeting with this special ministry team. And... Um, so she was all excited, still very naive. She says, I'm bringing my Bible and my notebook and my pencil, my pen. And she sat there and got all ready. I thought we're, she thought, we're going to have some in-depth Bible studies and prepare me for ministry. And over the next two months, the minister, the pastor, began to absolutely dismantle her faith, as she put it. About 15 or 16 people in the room in little group sessions, and the pastor asked a question in the first session in a very condescending uh, tone, 
How many of you here still believe the earth is 6,000 years old? How many of you here still believe that Adam and Eve actually existed? And nobody did. They all kind of smirked like, of course we don't believe that. And she was taken off guard. She was ready to study the Bible. She thought she was going to be trained for the ministry. And again, over the next two months, he just began to question. Yea, hath God said? That's the Antichrist. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's not the Lord. It's not the Lord. How many of you still believe that? And he would butcher it. He just would butcher and ridicule, not peripheral things, but foundational things of Christianity. She knew, this woman said she knew that what he was doing was wrong, but she felt helpless to combat it. She felt unequipped to combat it. And she even said her faith up to that point had been untested, untested. So she wasn't prepared. And um, this occurred in the church. This occurred under the ministry, if you want to call it that, of a self-proclaimed evangelical church, the later self-proclaimed progressive church. They identified as being progressive. So she cries out to God at home in the dark of her room, and God helped her. That's all I can say. You have to listen to her testimony. She began to study God's word. She got sure she even said, I don't even know if God exists anymore. She, her faith had been so riddled, but she did cry out to God. And God gave her a lifeline, and God sent her to the Word. And God sent her to the Bible. And she began to study the Bible like she never had before. And she was strengthened. God strengthened her and strengthened her faith and brought her out. She's no longer part of that church. And in fact, she is actively exposing this type of error. Praise God. And from what I've heard, I, I can't validate everything she does. I only heard this one testimony, but she does a very good job in that which I heard. But you and I believe, as believers, and I'm closing with this, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe it. We need to know the truth. We need to know God's word. And we have to cultivate a love for the truth. It has to be more than this doctrinal statement. We have to have a love in our hearts for the Lord and for the truth. David said the two scriptures we opened with in Psalm 119, therefore I hate every false way. He didn't just say I avoid it, I turn from it, I know it's wrong, it's a bad thing. He personally hated every false way. Romans says abhor that which is evil. He says a commandment telling you, Christians abhor, hate what's evil and cleave to that which is good. Christianity is not simply a blind faith. It's accused of being that, but it's not a blind faith. We're not hanging our faith on the stars. We're not wishing and hoping that hope all this is true. When I die, I find out it's true. It's based on something. It's based on the word of God. It's based on the prophecies that are fulfilled. It's based on the historical reality that Christ came and did just what we read. He, he lived and died and rose again the third day. It's not a, a, a fairy tale that we put our hope on, hopes in. It has a backing. It has a foundation. It, it has proof. It has evidence. There was a young man who was 
said that it's, uh, he was training his daughter for the world that was out there, a Christian daughter. He's a Christian father. He says, when you hear something that's false, I want you to speak up and tell me what was false and why using chapter and verse. Now, we might think that's extreme or whatever, but you can see what he's doing. It's a good thing. I want you to tell me what was wrong about what you heard in that song, Christian song, or in that sermon, or in that Christian movie. Tell me what was wrong, and tell me using chapter and verse what was wrong with that. That's the point of studying. It's not, it's not just in your flesh. It's not pharisaical. It's life, okay? Not a Pharisee, not legalistic. It's growing in Christ and in the Word of God, amen? And so I'm going to close with this scripture. If you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, 16 through 21. I'm sorry, 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Here it's actually eyewitnesses to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration that saw him transfigured and a voice from heaven that they heard say, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. For we, he received from God the Father honor and glory. Christ received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do, do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, <coughs> that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This, this to me is telling us, it's not just saying it passed through flawed human hands, the flawed hands of humanity. If God's whole truth and, and proof and evidence to man and communication to men was, was just based on flawed humanity, we'd be, in, we'd be in bad shape. Some men are better than others. Some are more honest than others, you know, but it's not. Holy men of God. He's talking about all the writers of the scripture. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They, first of all, they were holy men that knew God and walked with God. Every one of the writers of the Bible. Second of all, they wrote what, what God moved through them. That means like a ship that's being steered. It means like a ship that's on the ocean and it lifts up those sails and opens them up and gets all the wrinkles out. And a big wind comes along from the northeast and fills them up and it's going to take them off that direction. That direction, not another direction. And so they spake as the Holy, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so the, the progressive Christians uh, are saying it's just opinions of men. They were flawed humans. Well, they were sinners. 
saved by the grace of God. But the Bible says they were holy men of God. And the Bible says that they didn't speak or write according to their own will. It wasn't their private interpretation, nor is it yours. Isaiah didn't have a different take from Jeremiah or a different take than John, the revelator. He, they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They wrote God's thoughts and God's minds and what he wanted to communicate to mankind. So progressive Christianity conveniently forgets that God's spirit. We need to know this. We need to remind them. How do you know what you believe about God is right? I'm a Christian, too, and I don't, I don't believe that homosexuality is wrong. Where do you get that? I get it from the Bible. Well, how do you know your interpretation of that passage or those passages is correct? Well, they for, they're forgetting something very major. And you know what they're forgetting? They're forgetting that we can all be in the truth because there's a spirit of truth, a third person of the Trinity that leads us into all truth. They conveniently forget that. That it's not my take or Alberto's take or someone else's take. It is the Lord's take. It is his revelation. He gives us the word and the Holy Spirit gives us the understanding and the revelation and the, and the interpretation. And what I believe a true Christian in Mexico is going to believe too. And what I believe a true Christian in Turkey and in Russia and in Japan and Australia and Taiwan, they're going to believe the same thing. They're going to believe that Christ according died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was the equal to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're going to believe that. It's not their take. It's the same Holy Ghost that reveals to them, that reveals to you. And progressive Christianity throws all that out the window. Don't enter into their dialogues. It's a trap. You go straight to them and go. you talk to them if God leads you to talk to them. I'm not saying, I'm saying avoid them like the plague. I'm saying if God may lead you to speak to someone that is of that mindset, like this woman got deceived and went off into that belief system, it is not of the Lord. But you go ready. You go prayed up. You go knowing your Bible. You go not being confused because they're very crafty and they're very clever. And it's not just them. There's a spirit behind them that is speaking just like through the serpent. Yea, hath God said. Well, you're a Christian. Just pray about it. I'm not going to pray about that. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God would open your eyes. Because I got one thing I hang my hat on, and it's this word right here. This is, this is my rock and my foundation. Christ is my rock, but he's the Christ of these scriptures right here. He's not the Christ of your own making and your own doing that came to be a, a wonderful revolutionary and to show men how to love one another. And show the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews how to all get along. That's not what Christ, he died for sinners. He died for sinners. This is all going to pass away. The Muslims, the Hindus, the Christians, everything here is going to pass away. But he that does the will of the Father, Father is going to abide forever. That's what we need to know. We need to know what we believe.